0: Welcome, you've tuned in to Living the Miracle with hosts Michael and Raphael Tamora. You were meant to live a joy-filled life, and you most certainly can. In this program, you will learn simple yet powerful psychic tools to help you fulfill your soul's purpose in this world. Now here are your hosts, Michael Tamora and Raphael Tamora. Hello, everyone, and welcome
1: to Living the Miracle with Michael and Raphael Tamora. I am Raphael. And I'm Michael. Yay. (laughs) Our purpose for bringing this show to listeners like you all over the world is to awaken souls, develop intuition, and fulfill our purpose. Today we have a really fun topic. (laughs) In case you didn't read it on the website, it's three deaths and no funeral, lessons on living the miracle. Ha ha. It's actually been five deaths and no funeral for Michael, but he's keeping it to three times on the title of the book he's working on since the last two times his heart stopped and he keeled over. He had a little implanted computerized device in his chest called an ICD device that zapped him back to his body very quickly, so he considers them a different kind of near-death experiences. I'm sure he'll write about them in his book, though. I myself had a near-death experience as well when Michael and I were on the beautiful island of Kauai many years ago, I think back in 1996 or so. One day, Michael went out to go swim with his sea turtle friends, or honu in Hawaiian, Hawaiian. And while he was having a wonderful time out in the ocean with one giant honu, I died and met with my main spirit guide at the threshold. That's what we call the place as you're crossing over. He said that I was done with what I came to do this lifetime, and I could either go on to continue in spirit or return to my body on earth. In that space, I really didn't have a preference or desire. It was kind of odd. It was like when he asked me, I just... Couldn't answer. Mm-hmm. It, it was I was in complete and total neutrality. Probably as much as I practice neutrality in the tools that I teach and practice, I have never been that neutral in my entire waking conscious life. But my guide asked me, how about that healing center or school that you promised Michael you'd help him establish? Instantly, I was back in my body. I should say, I was slammed back into my body, and I came in the way I went out, I realized. And when I woke up, I realized that I had died from the uh, result of what had been going on with me for the three days previous, which was a horrible case of food poisoning. I definitely should have gone to a hospital, and I didn't. There are thousands and thousands of accounts of near-death experiences Those experiences in which the person's body shuts down, as it does in death, the heart stops, and there's no respiration for a period of time or the brain ceases to function. But the soul returns to the body and revives it. There are some dramatic experiences as well as more subtle ones, like mine. Yet, despite all of these first-hand reports and many books being written about a variety of them, by and large, most people have a hard time handling even talking about the subject of death without feeling terribly uncomfortable. La la la
2: la 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 <laughs> Are you saying something?
1: <laughs> Many people can't talk about it at all, especially the consideration of dying sooner or later themselves or their loved ones. The good news is, that there are also more awake souls who are now getting out in the world to teach others about what dying is really about. The funny part is that most of those who are very aware of what dying is about for the soul usually are lighthearted and laughing about death, even their own. That's why we decided to devote this episode to Michael's first three full near-death experiences. And, well, of course, he's still Here with us, thankfully.
2: Live from Mount (laughs) (laughs) Shasta.
1: Yes, indeed. I actually have a a set of special lights in our living room that I turn on every day in honor of all the returns he has made to continue the work and and be with me, too.
2: So, I'm I'm not like those uh, uh, bottles that says, you know, no deposit, no return. Right, right.
1: You have to be old enough to know what he's talking about now. Well, he's been one that has always enjoyed and laughed about death and dying. And I can, you know, validate that. (laughs) (laughs) Even the prospects of his own death. And he's told his students for years before he had his near-death experiences that what he was really teaching them was how to die correctly when their time came. As with everything else in life, to do it well, you need to practice regularly. But even amongst many of his advanced students who are clairvoyants healers and spiritual teachers themselves whenever he says things like that it gives like that it gives a bit of a pause to consider what he means How are we supposed to practice dying many of you even wonder So Michael why don't you start a <laughs> discussion here today how have you practiced dying correctly Regularly for years before your heart stopped and you stopped breathing and essentially died for a while before returning here.
2: Ah, yes. One of my (laughs) favorite subjects. But then I have lots of favorite subjects. Well, most people's concept of dying and death is made from the body's perspective, right? The heart stops. There's no more breathing. Finally, the brain stops working completely. And the doctor pronounces the person dead and the body gets taken away. We can call that death, but our experience as souls, as spiritual beings, it's not that at all. Spirits eternal. Eternal, of course, means forever, which means we never die. Then, what's death or dying to us as spirit. The process of dying that the soul goes through when the body is no longer animated is ultimately a process of letting go. Letting go not only of the physical body, but of life as we know it in this world. Some of you may be familiar with Jesus's question What if a man gained the whole world? and lose his own soul learning through the dying process a soul learns the answer to that question and generally we have to do this many 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 times <laughs> and that's why we have this thing called reincarnation you we get can to- be slow learners <laughs> <laughs> you know it's it's like uh uh what is it practice makes perfect <laughs> So, it's not just one time that it normally takes most of us, it takes hundreds of times of learning to die. So, yes, everyone, all of you, have been practicing dying for a very long time, but that's just at the end of each incarnation. Well, what... Raphael was asking me about. Is I practice this every day? I still do, even after I had five near-death experiences. I still practice. um, You know, throughout the day, how to die, and that doesn't mean I hold my breath (laughs) and keel over. No, I practice being spirit, as mystics and enlightened masters have said all for the millennia, that all of this world, that most of us consider reality, isn't. They all say that this is but a dream, an illusion. If we hold on to any of it in our mind, as like we want it or we can't be without it, we become what's known in metaphysical circles as earthbound beings. As such, a soul may no longer have a physical body, but in its mind, it cannot relinquish life in this world. It could be that the soul became completely dependent on, say, alcohol during this incarnation, and when it gets out, it still craves, oh, just one more drink. Well, there's, you know, you could imagine it in spirit and have all you want, but it's not the same for them because they're focused here on earth in the physical. And to do that, you have to have a physical body. Or the soul was so attached and dependent on its lover in its physical incarnation here that upon leaving the physical body in its mind, it's still absolutely craves to be with that lover as a body. Or it could have been a Scrooge-type being before Scrooge had his first awakening and be beholden to riches and wealth and money, all that stuff in this world, and has a hard time letting it go. So it could be anything, or it could be a whole lot of things that a soul isn't willing to let go and complete its learning and spiritual awakening well guess what we all have some of that we may not be a Scrooge we may not be stuck on alcohol or drugs we may not be you know completely like dependent on someone else for love but we each have some of that stuff we have a little hard time letting go of right yeah we even have hard time letting go of little concepts and and judgments, for example. No, that person is a stupid idiot. (laughs) No, that person's a real jerk, whatever. And okay, you know, you know, judgment's not going to make you happy, but oh, okay. Well, anyway, (laughs) letting go. So, what? Awakening. We talk about Awakening souls, all of you are awakening souls. What are you waking up from? You're waking up from this dream, this illusion that this world is our real home or birthplace. Yes, it's the birthplace of the body, but the body dies. And then you're born again in another incarnation, and it dies too. It's awakening from the dream world into the awareness and certainty of ourselves as spirit, limitless and eternal, and absolutely joyous. That's why when you're trying to find happiness in this world, it doesn't go very far. Okay, It's very temporary. So back to practicing dying correctly every day. I still practice it, like I said, many times a day. And that's, for me, it's The practice is living my life without placing my conditions upon it. Is that easy for me to do? Absolutely not. (laughs) The ego in us always wants something and wants it this way and not that way, When <laughs> I, I want a cookie, I want it now, I want it with more chocolate chips in mine, I don't care about yours, mine has to have more chocolate chips, When <laughs> yeah, that ego is like a, a crying baby saying, no, no, I want it now, everything is now, and I got to have it or else I'm not going to make it. So. My practice has been to let that noisy voice in, your, in my head, in everybody's head, be as it is and not pay any mind to it. And you know what happens when you have certainty in spirit, in your true self? Then bullies can't scare you. I'm like anyone else, however. If someone pulls a gun on me, at first, I'll go. Or the hair on my neck stands up, or something like that. But I practice all the psychic tools that we teach, which are the tools of the soul, okay? Living here in this world. And I've learned over the years, I get myself grounded, my awareness centered, and neutral. And then I can make good decisions as to what to do next. When Raphael said, when she was at the threshold, And completely out of the body, she experienced neutrality like she never had before in the body.
1: To tell you how extreme that was, um, when I was asked that question, I didn't think of my fairly new marriage with Michael. I didn't think of my two small stepkids, nothing. And a lot of times those are the things that pull people back.
2: See, that's how much I count in Raphael's life. No?
1: It's how <laughs> yes. we are when we're out of the body.
2: Exactly. I can absolutely vouch for that. Every time. The neutrality of spirit, it's not the same as indifference in human beings. Right. You know, indifference, we don't care. And if you really dig down to why don't you care? Well, it's because there's too much pain and we're just going I don't want to go there, all right? That's too much pain. So I don't want to love anybody. That's too much pain. It's going to come out. We'll get to that more later. But, you know, I've been in situations where I'm looking at the business end of the barrel of a gun just inches from my face. I've been in a situation where there's this long, very sharp Japanese, like a short sword, stuck to my throat and being threatened that the guy is saying, I'm going to cut you into pieces. And I've been 65, 70 feet underwater in the ocean and uh, scuba diving, and I can't get my regulator in my mouth and I can't breathe. So uh, I've been in, uh, in midair. I went off the wrong end of a cliff in a ski resort (laughs) and I bashed into a giant mogul and it catapulted me. I'm somersaulting backwards and backwards and backwards and all I can see is the blue sky.
1: For about one
2: mile. Yeah, and there's no ground below me until I went far enough down and then finally the slope curves a little bit and I land on the snow and no scratches even. My skis and poles were shattered into pieces. So, yeah, I, <laughs> I've been in those close call situations. Well, what people used to call near death, you know, oh, I could have died. But I didn't. And the funny thing is every single time I'm in spirit and I'm at total peace, neutrality, time stops. I can think, whether it's in midair or... I'm having a heart attack or whatever. I'm in spirit. So that's that neutrality. And we'll come back to that as we uh, after our break. Yes,
1: we're uh, coming on our first break, and I promise you I'll have Michael talk about his actual near-death experiences in the next section. Um, but do remember to check out uh, newlivingexpo.com at the San Mateo Convention Center. We will be there in a booth representing our radio show this Friday to Sunday, April 27 to 29, and that's 2018, for those of you who are listening afterwards. Um Michael will also speak on Friday, and the PGS Intuition movie will also be screened on Friday. Uh, Michael's talk is at 5 p.m., the movie's at 7 p.m., and Michael will be on the Q&A panel as well. Oops. When we return from our ba- break, we'll continue exploring dying, miracles, and your spiritual growth. We're so happy you joined us today. I hope you're laughing. See you in a couple minutes. Thank you.
2: Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America.
0: Have you always known that something different was possible for your life and in the world? What if you could create beyond your current reality? If your relationships, finances, business, health, and life could be anything, what would they be? Join Heather Nichols for an invitation to discover what is true for you in every area of your life and for conversations loaded with pragmatic tools for how to create it. Listen live every Monday at noon Pacific and 9 p.m. Central European time for Creating Beyond Reality on the Voice America Empowerment Channel.
1: It's your world. Motivate. Change. Succeed. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com
0: You are listening to Living the Miracle. Michael and Raphael would love to hear from you. Reach the show today by calling 1-888-346-9141. Again, that's 1-888-346-9141. You may also send an email to livingthemiracleradio at gmail.com. Now back to Living the Miracle. Well,
1: thank you for joining us today. We are talking about three deaths and no funeral. Lessons on Living the Miracle. And when we're talking about deaths, we're talking actually in this case about uh, physical death and also what happens after one passes over. So Michael and I both touched in with a little bit about what death is and um, one little near-death experience I had. Um, By the way, that was a very small encapsulation of a very very big experience for me uh, on my near-death experience because um, it was a three-day illness that led up to that. And I was in a very nice condo, nice place to die. I was in a very nice condo in Kauai. In Kauai. Yes.
2: Uh, they they don't call that paradise for nothing, right? Yeah. <laughs> so
1: I guess I was, you know, kind of looking at a launching point there, but um, I've been back for a long time and have lived much longer than I ever even imagined uh-huh. as a child, which is great because I feel like I'm getting a lot done. And after that near-death experience, one of the things that I experienced was having been told I was done with what I came to do is I felt like I had a lot more freedom. There was like an energy mm-hmm. that lifted off of me. And now I could have taken that freedom and gotten lazy and and put my feet up on the table and never done anything. But for me, it was an opportunity to really do some meaningful work in my life. And that's what we've been doing ever since then. We had made a big shift about four years earlier, and we uh, started to delve deeper into our own teaching and creating our classes and so on and so forth. But Michael, I would like you to share with the audience a little more about your three major near-death experiences and what that was like, and including... How you died? Mm-hmm. Now this is funny for me to be the interviewer, <laughs> the interviewer, because Michael's been interviewed about this a lot of times, and I was there for these things, mostly there yes. anyway. And uh, he'll explain that to you. But Michael, why don't you go ahead and
2: talk about it? Sure. Well, it's interesting. Just like Raphael said, my first time uh, it was 2004, and uh, like her, I was I was very ill for. Uh, extended period of time, and the illness was one thing, but it was the excruciating pain. I, I had this thing called traveling gout, where this gout situation, crystals just jamming into all the the um, what do you call it joints, and it's it's terrible. It's it's excruciating. I would I remember thinking, I would not wish this on my worst enemy, and it was beyond anything and because it was in every part of my body and nothing helped. So I'm kind of curled up in the bed where that didn't help (laughs) Uh, and I had to go on an errand. So I was home alone. I'm very dangerous when I'm home alone. (laughs) (laughs) And so it got to the point of, I'm looking at, if this goes on, uh, I don't know how I'm going to function. So I said to God, I said, God, I don't know if I can go on like this. And instant, I mean, it wasn't even a split second after I finished that thought, I was out. It's like I got escorted out. And and um, I got escorted out by this massive being um, that took me. He was completely in white and this white light. And he took me... Um, Kind of like by the hand, so to speak, into this uh, conference room. <laughs> it reminded me of a boardroom, but it's incredibly elegant boardroom. But it has that you know typical of a boardroom: very highly polished, beautiful uh, wooden long wooden table. And there's a empty seat next to the head table around the corner, and I get motion to sit there. And there's five beings, including the one that escorted me there, sitting around the stable, around me. And they're all just beaming, they're smiling, and it was instantaneously, welcome home. And it was like a celebration, and they said, well, you're done, just like with Raphael, hey, you're done. And they explained it a little further, said, you've given, you've done so much more than you had uh, contracted for, so to speak. And so you can stay here with us and continue your work uh, in the spiritual uh, realm. Or since you know, it's your choice, you can go back and continue it there. And just like Raphael said, the neutrality, I mean, I had no desires at all. Not, That's a good way to describe it. No desires. That's no desire. Exactly how yeah. I felt. Because neutrality, non-neutrality, is there's a desire. I don't want this, or I want that, or uh, you know, it's not. This isn't good, or whatever. It's all desire-based, but and fear-based. But there's absolutely no fear, absolutely no desire, and so I'm going. Well. Whatever, <laughs> I'm being like a teenager. Whatever, <laughs> and and the the masters there. Uh, I said, "Oh, this is my opportunity." There's five of them, and one of me. And I said, "In your great wisdom, would it benefit not only myself but anyone involved with me in life in the world?" Uh, if I stayed on this side and continued my spiritual work and teaching and guiding, or if I returned to the body. And it, there was not a moment of hesitation. All five of them unanimously said, it was almost like they were shouting, if you go back, you will be of enormous benefit that you wouldn't be able to do from this side. And I thought, wow, that's interesting. Never thought of it that way. And so then, I said, okay, send me back. Well, when you have not one molecule of pain, <laughs> that's easy to say. Send me back. Well, it wasn't until I got started sending back, I, I was being escorted back to the body by this great being, uh, and as soon as I put my attention on the body, I go, oh, oh. <laughs> when I go back there, it's going to be excruciating pain. So I turn around As I'm escorting back to the body and I tell everybody, I said, well, I'm going to need some help uh, because in that condition I left the body in, I'm going to be no benefit to myself or anyone else. And I hear this very simple answer, fine. Mm -hmm. (laughs) They're very efficient, economical, right? They don't waste words and stuff. It's just fine. And then when I get back, I get guided step by step toward my healing so that I can not have to go through that type of pain again
1: and of course the details of that will be in his book is a very cool part of the story yeah actually. it's, it's
2: yeah. a it's a cool part all of it's really cool and so I got back well I'm still in pain but I had so much more energy so much more brightness and so much more life it literally felt like I got just birthed rebirthed and And then Raphael comes home, and I explain to her things, and and yes, over the course of the next maybe nine, ten months, I really got healed myself uh, on the physical end of things. And so, since then, it's been way, 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 way better. And so, uh, then I realized, oh, one of the things they told me, too, uh, is that I didn't have to uh, complete any of my past commitments that was still going on in this life in, in the world, okay? Uh, appointments and, and commitments to teach certain classes and things that were all scheduled or uh, planned on. And so I, I came back, and that's one of the first things I thought of is, no, I, I want to fulfill those commitments. It took me two years to make all those finish with everything that I felt was from the past here in this world. And I felt good about that. (laughs) Well, the next day (laughs) uh, I had my next (laughs) near-death experience. (laughs) I had a a pretty bad heart attack. (laughs) But the night before, leading up to that uh, fatal morning, so to speak, was an amazing thing we were, Raffi and I went to a birthday party for some other healer friend uh, at a healer friend's um, uh, sanctuary. And there's, what, about 40, 50 people. In Ashland, Oregon. In Ashland. And um, a great fun event. But somebody found out that my birthday was coming up in four days. And so they secretly included me on the birthday celebration. So when they brought out the cake... Uh, they brought two cakes up, one for this other man and one for me. And so he had his song and blew out the candles, blah, blah, blah. And then this woman brings the candles. You know, it's like a forest fire, right, at this age. <laughs> and she goes, she puts up the cake to my face and says, okay, close your eyes you and make your wish and then blow out the candles. I thought, oh, so I'm a kid again. And I get, oh, I close my eyes and I'm having fun thinking, okay, what should I wish? And all of a sudden, my mind goes complete neutrality, complete empty. Just like when I was that first near-death experience when I was out, I don't have a desire. There's there's nothing I want or wish for. It's all complete and total peace. And then in the middle of this, it was kind of a this warm darkness. And then in this more middle of this infinite darkness, this incredible golden light starts to shine and gets bigger and bigger and bigger until it takes over the whole space in my mind. And I go, oh, that's the Christ. And I thought, oh, that'll be great. I'll wish for, uh, I would better like to more embody the Christ consciousness. And I thought, what a great wish. Blew out the candles. Everybody sang happy birthday, clapped and laughed and everything. We had cake. (laughs) Well,
1: I was about 30 feet away because this part of the birthday party was done outside. And I had been chit-chatting with someone about astrology or something when this whole birthday cake came out. And um, when I saw Michael close his eyes and blow out the candles, I knew something very big had just happened. I didn't look at the gold energy. He was looking at it. I was looking at his body <laughs> and the, a kind of energy that came out that said he might die. Mm. And I concluded my conversation with a lady next to me and and went to him. But as I was on my way to him, the host of the party grabbed me and took me into his healing room and told me um, this incredible story about how he had this horrible heart attack and he uh, locked himself in the room and wouldn't let the EMTs in that his girlfriend had called for him and I'm standing there going why is this man telling me this horrible story um, it upset me a little bit and he said well I worked my way through this heart attack I'm a, I'm one of those people that says you know I'm of the mind if somebody's having a heart attack you call 911." and so anyway i went out and i went to michael and i said we have to go i think we need to take you home and
2: so that i you know no nothing goes on and i go to bed and the next morning i'm in this
3: <laughs> out of
2: excuse me out of the body i'm in this total bliss and then slowly I hear sounds and that's Raphael clanking in the sink, in the kitchen,
1: feeding feeding the animals
2: and stuff like that, which I I really enjoy that sound. But I start to get more and more conscious here from this total bliss, but still I'm in that total bliss until a thought comes, oh, I have a very important meeting at 10 o'clock this morning at the office. This man came all the way from Israel to see me to discuss this major global project. So I got to get there. So I slowly get out of bed and start to walk toward the bathroom. And it's like the my whole world comes crashing down. And um, everything is just... It's like being in the middle of a massive earthquake. And then Raphael comes into the bedroom and she goes, Michael, are you having a heart attack? And I kind of laugh because... You know, I used to be a a, a nurse many, many, many years before that. And so I go back to the symptomology of what's a heart attack supposed to be like. Well, I didn't have any of those symptoms. And so I told Raphael, no, I don't think so. But I would like a healing. Would you, you know, go into the living room and give me a healing? And so she starts giving me a healing. And I start to feel a little better. But I walk in and I... go I gotta go outside I gotta go on the grass and I get on the grass well what Raphael says later on was I circled around the living room while she was giving me the healing and uh, she says I sang chanted the Jewish prayer of the dead which I don't know at all
1: I'm not Jewish but I had heard the Jewish prayer for the dead on a tv show uh, a couple of days earlier, actually, that's how I knew what it Isn't was. Isn't
2: that something? And so anyway, I don't have any recollection of that. I go out there on the grass, I collapse, and I'm out of the body. I'm surrounded by same five beings plus another six or seven of them. In a big circle, I'm going, thank God you guys are here. And they all step back away from me, and I knew what they were saying was no. I can tell that there's this total knowing, they're communicating to me, this is your time. You have an important uh, um, decision to make. And I'm going, okay, (laughs) I need some help, but okay, they said that we can't interfere. So I'm looking at what's the decision I have to make? What's the decision I have to make? And I'm thinking, okay, let's just think normal first. Most people would be thinking, go to the uh, ER or you know, die or whatever. I don't want to die or I want to live. I didn't have those questions. So what's my question? And I realized my question was, okay, I know there's no death. I'm not afraid of physical death. So what's my question that's so important? And I realized, oh, even though I've known there's no death, and the immortality of spirit, I still have been living my life from birth till death, and then I know I'm going to go on. I said, but that's not what I know of life. Life is eternal. There's no beginning and an end like that. And I, I need to start to look at life as eternal. And when I decided that's what I have to decide, to live eternal life, not from birth to death. And that was a scary thought. And since uh, that thought, I realized I had to go thinking of it. What does that mean? It meant I couldn't place conditions on how I'm going to live, Okay, what it has to be before I can live. Like, I don't want to live if I'm going to be incapacitated, if I'm going to be dysfunctional, if I can't blah, 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 blah. No conditions. At all. And so, so then we just go, okay, that means I, I can't say, okay, I don't want to be here anymore. Now, if I'm going to be here, if I'm sent back here, I need to live my life with joy regardless of what the conditions of existence here are. And I thought, that's a big one. But I knew I had to make that decision now or later might as well do it now
1: i hate to do this but we're coming upon a break so we will be right back and i'll have michael continue his story
2: think you've seen everything there is to see in online television let us surprise you visit voiceamerica.tv today for sports health business and more on demand 24 7
0: We're on the cutting edge of social media. Can you keep up?
3: It's your world. Motivate. Change. Succeed. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com
0: You are listening to Living the Miracle. Michael and Raphael would love to hear from you. Reach the show today by calling 1-888-346-9141. Again, that's one 346 9141 You may also send an email to livingthemiracleradio at gmail.com. Now back to Living the Miracle.
1: Uh, welcome back. We are talking about three deaths and no funeral. Lessons on Living the Miracle, and the three deaths, of course, are the three deaths that Michael experienced, near-death experiences, and uh, we left you
2: with a little bit of a <laughs> cliffhanger, so
1: why don't you go ahead and continue the story, yes. Michael?
2: So, the funny thing is, what a, that's that major moment of, of making that decision to live eternal life, which led to really having to look at, I can't place my conditions on life anymore. And that's a tough one because we put conditions on life because we're afraid of something, right? Okay, so I'm going to have to deal with any kind of fear. All right, great. Well, I'm not afraid of physical death anymore, so that's a no problem. So I go, okay, whatever other fear I come up with, I'll deal with it. Okay, so then uh, where the actual death happened wasn't. Then, that was I was just collapsed and I was out out of my body when all that happened. Once I made the decision, I came right back. I still, I, I was feeling a lot better. And then I was able to release because I'm looking still at the grass under my face. And I said, Mother Earth, there's this, so much in my chest, can I let this go into you? And the green grass disappeared, it became like this black curtain, uh, opened up or closed up or opened up and and I got this permission, let it go. and I just let go and this black tarry stuff just came pouring out and I can see these were bits and pieces of pain and suffering that I took on from other people that I've given healings to thousands and thousands and thousands of people that I've given healings to, even though I knew how to clean up after I give healings but This was little residue here and there over, you know, 40-something years. And so it's coming out. And when that all came out, oh, I felt so much better. I thought, okay, I'm good. I run upstairs. I can run. I run upstairs. Raphael's still worried, so I said, no, I'm fine. Uh, And I have a meeting at 10 (laughs) o'clock. And she kind of rolls her eyes, but she was very, you know, did things under the radar because she had a plan already. And... And I, I said, but I feel a little weak. Could you drive me to the office, which is like two hour, two, two minutes away? <laughs> and she goes, sure. So we go on, and on the way to the uh, office, she goes, you know, why don't we have you checked out just to make sure if you're fine, then it's not going to be any problem. Uh, let's go to the ER. We go to the ER, and one thing I learned is don't walk into the ER don't walk in. Let the ambulance or you know stretcher take you in because they don't believe you, and especially if you're laughing. So I'm laughing, joking around with Raphael. We go into the ER, and the triage nurse comes, looks at both of us, and says, "Which one are you in trouble?" And Raphael, <laughs> who's looking very serious, uh, says, "My husband. He's got chest pains." And and then the triage nurse kind of matches me, and she goes. Oh, another chest pain. And she rolls her eyes, and she looks at me and says, we had four of them in the last 20 minutes. And that's a lot considering we live in such a small small town. town. Yeah. Yeah. And she said, and all of them, uh, before you, they're all fine. They walked out of here healthy as a horse. And she goes, what's happening? You know, everybody's coming in with chest pains. So I thought, well, they'll probably let me loose uh, shortly soon after, go into the ER uh, doc and I'm talking to her and she's not in any concern because I'm laughing and having a great time. And then she goes, okay, would you lie down and hooks me up to the EKG, blah, blah, blah. And immediately she, she just, her eyes open, she gets kind of pale, she runs the uh, phone, starts calling and talking to somebody really fast and, and it sounds like she's talking to another uh, cardiologist somewhere. And then she hangs up and she says, yes, could you send for this and that and the other thing, blah, 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 comes back. And she said, you know, you're going to have to sign these papers. I'm going to have to shoot you up with this a very strong uh, drug that has a 50% chance of killing you. <laughs> and I just was laughing so hard because I said, do you know how that sounds to me? <laughs> I'm perfectly alive right now and you're going to cut my chances down to half by signing this piece of paper. And I'm just having a great time. And she goes, she goes, no, you don't understand. If you don't sign, and if I can't give you this medication, you will die. There's a 100% chance of you dying in the next few minutes. And so I go, okay. And at that point, I'm just seeing the entire, everything choreographed in spirit by divinity. It's it's just like this total orchestration of divine and I'm totally in God's hands. Nothing could possibly go wrong, including if I die, fine. If I don't die, fine. Anything, everything is fine. I got to experience that unconditionality. Total, I had no opinions about anything. No judgments, no fear, nothing. Because I can see the hand of spirit behind every little thing. And even if the doctor didn't know what she was doing or the orderly didn't, or somebody makes a mistake, no problem, it's all divinely orchestrated. So- the doctor didn't make a mistake. No, no, she was fine because she was, she did not want (laughs) to have me croak on her table. She wanted to pass me off. They had to bring another ambulance with a different crew from a different bigger city hospital because none of the stuff they had there or the staff could handle this extreme extent to keep me alive. In other words, he had to be moved to another hospital. Which was an hour and a half away, (laughs) over the mountain pass. So we're headed there on the ambulance, and and, uh, the young man who was a paramedic, well, I thought a paramedic in the back. He's sweating bullets. He looks like a college—I mean, a, a high school sophomore. He's so young, and so I said, "Either I'm getting so old, or he's very, very young." And I said, "How how long have you been doing this?" And he goes, "Oh, next week I take my final exams for my paramedic license." <laughs> I crack up. I said, "Rafiana, I have a history of having." Beginners, right? A first-timers, beginners, on-the-job training people, uh, because we like him. And I'm looking at him. I said, "He ain't gonna make a mistake. He's just like a hawk, looking over me, making sure I make it." Right? So I said, "I'm in great hands." So I wanted to reassure him, and I said, um, "Hey, no, don't sweat it. Uh, I'm not gonna croak on you." And the minute I finished saying that, I flatlined, uh, which I later found out. I left the body. I'm floating up uh, over the uh, roof of the ambulance, and I'm in this blue sky, just total freedom, beautiful. I look down, and there's Raphael gripping the steering wheel of her SUV, trying to keep up with the ambulance going 75 miles an hour over these curvy mountain roads. And and she's just focused, right? And she's not going to let this ambulance out of her sight. And I I'm going, "Hey, sweetheart, I'm up here." And she, of course, is very psychic. She looks up and she sees me in spirit. But I don't figure out what does that mean to her, right? If your husband is in spirit going out of the body from the ambulance, that means he's gone. He's gone. And so, I don't think about that, of course, because there's no such thing as even a thought of death when you're out. I look down, I'm waving at her and say, hey, it's fun, isn't that great? And then, next thing, I'm in the celestial realm, and, oh, and right before I go, I see Raphael, she takes one hand off of the steering wheel, she... She's trying to stay focused, but she's looking at me and she's making a fist and she's shaking her fist at me. And so I put words in her mouth in my mind. She's going, oh, she's going, if you die on me, I'm going to kill you. <laughs> <laughs> and I laugh and, and I thought that would make a good joke. And <laughs> actually, my thoughts were, don't leave yet. <laughs> and and <laughs> so then I leave. I, I'm in the celestial realm. I'm going higher and higher. And then above me, there's these four or five uh, giant golden beams, beings of light. And then one of them steps down toward me, comes and meets me. And when she meets me, she becomes a she. She becomes this angel, this beautiful angel. And she puts her hands gently on my chest of the astral body. And she goes, not yet. <laughs> like a, I'm a little kid, you know, being chided by the school mistress, and for trying to sneak out of school. And then she pushes me back gently, and then um, uh, I get back into the body. Then the young man starts screaming, He's back! He's back! He's back! And he had these paddles in his hand. He was about to shock me, but I, he didn't have to. And I said, I told you I wasn't going to croak on you, so that was my actual second near-death experience, and and so then we end up in the hospital, you know, and I I just have a wonderful experience in the hospital. They did have to go in and put a couple of or one stent in my one of my coronary blood vessels because I had a pretty bad uh, heart attack, and everybody is surprised that I didn't die. Uh, because most people with that kind of EKG usually croak, but uh, that ER doc did a great job. Everybody on the ambulance, everybody did a wonderful job, and Raphael gave me a good healing, and I knew I had to come back. But that angel brought me back, and I knew, oh yeah, I, I you know, I don't, I'm not to leave. I already made the commitment. Last time I had the choice of staying here or leaving. This time, no. Out of my own commitment, I have to stay, and I have to learn how to live unconditionally no matter what's going on with my body or what's going on in the world or anything. So that was the very first step of that lesson that I started to learn to practice.
1: So um, since we're coming very close to the end of the show, do you want to encapsulate the The third near-death experience. So you want to save that for the show? Are we already
2: the end of the show? Yes, we are. (laughs) Oh, wow. Okay. The third one, which was the biggest one, and it's it's a big story. It's a huge story. So we'll have to have a a, one just on that, perhaps. But just to give you an idea, what happened is the third one was entirely different, completely different, and the third one I have no recollection what happened on this side on Earth, and. I'm just, it's like a hydraulic, not an escort, hydraulic tube just sucked me out of my body. That's the only thing I remember as going out and just being sucked out. And instantly I'm in, it's like this feeling of the furthest place I can possibly go. At the same time, it's in the center of everything. And I'm, the only way I can describe that time is. Is that there is no thought, there is no time, there is nothing, except I'm the consciousness is sitting in front of what I called when I came back, I called it the uh, eternal flame of God's love, and it's not a thing; it's just this massive, un- this indescribable thing of experience, without a real experience like how i'm experiencing things now it's there's no me there's nothing and then from there i have this enormous experience going through these massive angels and tens of thousands of angels smaller ones and seeing forever and then i'm taken to various places after that for schooling and that part i had experience i had consciousness i experienced myself as me, so to speak, in spirit, and then learning all of these things and doing all these things. But we'll have to have a whole thing just on that one uh, in a uh, future episode.
1: Yes, and and it was really quite a incredible experience for both of us. And, you know, when you have someone in your life going through this, you get to grow too. And I, I most certainly did, and I'll talk about that as well. Um, I would like to bring up since we're at the end of the show uh, just mention to have you go to our website MichaelTomora.com. we have some events coming right up in los angeles may 5th and 6th we have a weekend seminar taught by michael as well as a pgs screening in santa monica on may 7th and all the details for that are on our website
2: and that's gonna be really a lot of fun
1: yes so it's MichaelTomora.com. see you next week we're looking forward to it